Welcome to Health Law Talk, presented by Shahardi Sherman Williams. Health law broken down through expert discussion, real client issues, and real life experiences. Breaking barriers to understanding complex healthcare issues is our job. And good morning, everyone. Conrad Meyer, Rory Bellina for another episode of Health Law Talk here at Shahardi Sherman Williams. And today, we have some very special guests in the studio with us. We have Dr. Ralph Corsetti, Dr. Catherine Williams, and we're going to be talking about FTC non-compete proposed rule and what that means. So very interesting topic, something that is really popped up right now. And, and Rory, uh, from what I understand, it's just a proposed rule with comment period. And right now, currently, the comments are due when? Yeah, it just got extended yesterday. So the new date is April 19th. It was extended from March 20th. So it's not enacted yet, right, Rory? I mean, we're still in the comment period. Correct. We don't know what's going to happen in terms of the final rules. So people are allowed to comment. And, uh, and then they're going to decide if they're going to enact a final rule, correct? Correct. The comment period closes. They compile the comments, publish the comments, make changes if they wish, and then go forward after that. Exactly. And today, Dr. Williams, Dr. Corsetti, you are here to tell us a little bit about what your thoughts are on the FTC proposed rule. And from a, from a physician perspective, which is, you know, what we want to hear, uh, give us, uh, and I guess to you, uh, I don't know who wants to start for Dr. Corsetti, if you want to. If you want to start first, and we'll sort of point to you here. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts of the FTC rule, maybe some history about you as a physician, and why why your interest in this is, is paramount. Okay, well, uh, first of all, thank you for having me. I appreciate being uh, with you all today to discuss this very important topic. Um, personally, I went through a non-compete uh, issue myself. Um, I've been in practice uh, as a surgeon, a surgical oncologist, a cancer surgeon for uh, about 25 years. Uh, I've been in practice in the New Orleans area for over 20 years. Um, was in practice at Tulane University before Hurricane Katrina, mm -hmm. when the storm hit. Um, I relocated my practice to, to Oshner and uh, was there for about 15 years and, um, and was recruited back to uh, Tulane. Um, uh, for various reasons, uh, academic appointments, uh, endowed chair position. Uh, but as part of my contract uh, with Oshner, I had a two-year non-compete. And mm -hmm. as we know in the state statutes, that the, the contracts are only legal if you specify a time period and a distance. So in that time period cannot be more than two years right. in the state statute. So it was for 24 months, uh, and it specified for myself, Orleans and Jefferson Parish. So uh, when I left Oshner about two and a half years ago, uh, Tulane has uh, uh, resources in a hospital on the North Shore at Lakeview. So that's where I practiced for two years and uh, developed you know, breast cancer program there for Tulane which has been going very well. Um, but I feel fortunate in that my non-compete was only for Jefferson and Orleans Parish. Right. Now non-competes are specified for the entire state and even additional states. So uh, some healthcare employers now will specify that uh, the non-compete will be, the geographic area will be the entire state of Louisiana, parts of Mississippi. And so, um, you know, my issues with the non-compete are that... Um, I, and I think they're valid in a lot of instances. For instance, and again, I play the devil's advocate and, and, and look at the other side, and I, and I see the importance of having it 
potentially up front, or if you're a new grad and a hospital system hires you, they're investing a lot of money, a lot of resources to build your practice. And so, you know, if you leave after six months after they've invested all this money in recruiting you and you haven't really generated any revenue for them, right? then potentially there's a big loss for them. So I, I get that. But if you've been there for 15 years and also having been established in the region prior to that right. at a different institution, for instance, when I left Tulane and went to Oshner, I brought a lot of my patients from Tulane to Oshner. Um, so, you know, where's the sweet spot? So the contracts are in, per in perpetuity or evergreen. So meaning that there's no time limit right. as to when they end. So when you leave, whether it's six months or 30 years later, you still have to sit it out for, for, for the specified time period, which is typically two years. Right. And so I just... That's where I have the issue with it. I, I agree with a short term. So where's the mm -hmm. sweet spot? Is it a couple of years, three years, maybe maybe maximum up to five years at the most? But certainly probably in that two to three year range, I would think is a is a reasonable time. Um, the other uh, point I have with it is not just the time period, but the, the geographic location, like we talked about. That, you know, it's one thing to be this parish or that parish. So, you know, I had three children in high school. So right. it'd be, I would have been probably considered a bad father if I uprooted three high school children from their high schools and moved them to a different state or somewhere. But luckily, I didn't have to move. I was lucky. I, I commuted across the lake for two years. Uh, but it's not the same for other people. And that's why, you know, my non-compete's over. I'm practicing again back on the South Shore. So I, and we've built such a good presence up on the North Shore that I'm still actively engaged in practicing on both sides of the lake now, which is great. And looking to uh, grow our practice by recruiting another partner soon. Um, but other people have had to leave the state. So, and, and this is where I think uh, we can make some headway. And that if you look at all the money that... Um, the state potentially invests in uh, top dollars to try to recruit the top kids in high school and retain them in the state and have right. them educated in the state. And the whole goal of that is that you keep the best students in the state so that hopefully they will contribute to society and contribute to the community within your own state. But now I know many uh, co-workers, co-physicians that have been forced to leave the state because of the non-compete for the entire state that were trained through top dollars in this state. And so I'm just not sure how the state looks at that as, as, a, as a return on their investment. So I think that's where, you know, through the legislation uh, in the state, we can uh, make some real progress there. So, um, and I still remain actively involved with this uh, through the State Medical Society and with Dr. Williams because it's important to me, even though, you know, my non-competes over, and, and, uh, but I still want to stay very proactive in these issues. Um, we did a recent study through Tulane. Uh, we looked at uh, an insurance, uh, a national uh, insurance provider, and looked at some of the reasons uh, for healthcare rankings in states. And so, if we looked at um, the top ten ranked states in this in this country versus the bottom ten ranked states in this country in terms of healthcare, and they typically look at uh, overall health, uh, access to care, and quality of care. Those are three factors. So these non-competes have been shown to affect access to care. And so, um, you know, the study showed that we did in this one company that the seven of the top 10 ranked states had no non-competes. 
whereas uh, nine of the bottom 10 ranked states actually had non-competes. And when you, to, when you do that and do the math and do chi-square analysis and statistics, which right. we're not going to get into here, it's statistically significant that that has an impact right? because it affects the access to care because uh, patients are forced to leave their community. So, And I, and I think we're going to get into the access issue. I think Rory and I, I think all of us here at the table, Dr. Williams, are going to get into that. And, and I know it's an active problem. I mean, from our perspective, Rory and I's perspective, I mean, we, re- we review tons of contracts for physicians every year. And guaranteed, I, I have not seen, or I shouldn't say that, I've seen very, very few with no non-competes. Almost every one of them has a non-compete. So, you know, I, we, we know it's a real issue. It needs to be talked about, at least brought to the table, because over the years, even, even we have talked about the non-competes that we see and how they vary by organization or system, right? And you can look at it and say, well, man, most, most of the reason why you don't look at case law and you, and you see, wait a minute, I don't have any jurisprudence from physicians that are challenging this. Because most physicians individually don't want to do it. They don't, don't want to put the money to it. They, they, they want to, like what you did, Dr. Corsetti, is just, oh, I'm going to drive to the North Shore. I don't want to spend tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars hundreds to fight the, the, big, the big Goliath in the room, right? Correct. That's absolutely correct. It, it is. So, Dr. Williams, I'd like to hear from you. Tell us a little bit about your background and your practice and sort of how you got involved with the whole non-compete movement, if you will. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm uh, Dr. Catherine Williams. I'm an OBGYN on the North Shore St. Tammany Parish. And I um, am involved in the non-compete issue because uh, with the interest amongst our members started when I was the sitting president for Louisiana State Medical Society. I was president during COVID, which was January before COVID hit until August of, I believe, 21. Um, And during that time, um, I had the opportunity to testify before the legislature about the non-compete issue. Um, I completely disagree with non-competes. I think that they are ethically wrong. I believe that the doctor-patient relationship is valuable and should be cherished. And I think that when you interject a non-compete into um, that relationship, it, 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 one, it, it makes it it often puts a significant amount of strain on the physician because they may not be happy with the quality of care that they're able to deliver. Right. And so as an unhappy doctor is not engaged, and not to mention, you know, there's a there's such a tremendous amount of value in having that long-term relationship. You know your patient best. You've been taking care of them for 10 years. You know when something's wrong. With that said, there are other ways. I mean, non-competes originally, um, the idea, the, the concept was to protect trade secrets, right, and also to protect investment. Well, let me tell you, there's no secrets about medicine. Okay, we go to conferences, we, we learn standard of care, quality of care. It is on us, the physician, that learns how to practice medicine, not a corporation. So for them to say that there's a trade secret that they are, right. you know, we, they need to protect, I, I, I challenge that completely. Secondly, investment. I employ two doctors, two nurse practitioners. I do not utilize non-competes in my practice. There are other ways to recoup your investment, such as a repayment clause. You know, it takes, when you, when you hire a doctor, about three years before you actually start getting, and you know, you've paid off the debt completely, and then you, you start 
having a, a, a significant, you know, a profit, I'm going to say significant. Um, <clears throat> you have a good ROI, your break-even point is about right. three years out, you know, right? You're, you know, you're breaking about two, but then you start getting profit Correct. about three. I'm with you. So anything beyond that is just... Gravy. Ridiculous. Okay, for them to have an evergreen non-compete clause is not necessary. Right. And what they're doing is they're restricting competition. Now, speaking as a physician who employs doctors, I can't find a partner because they have captured the secondary market. And they also are capturing the vulnerable learners. And so we say they, just so our listeners know, you're talking about big systems. Big systems. Big systems. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. Big systems who dominate the healthcare market in Louisiana. Yeah. Okay. And they um, often, they have a residency program. Many of them do. Maybe even a new med school. And maybe even a new med school in the works. (laughs) And so these students are coming out. These residents are coming out. They're in significant debt. And they're saying, hey, we're going to offer you this amount of money. It's the recruitment agreement. Mm -hmm. Right. And And they, they're, you know, they're the the new doctor who's been really like eating ramen noodles, you know, every day is like, okay, I'm going to do it. And so they're, they, you know, when it's, it's hard to compete with that. And so it is basically, they are a vulnerable learner who is captured by this and by their, their professors are saying, hey, you should do this, who they listen to, who have taught them, who have mentored them. And so that's very difficult. They go and they get the job, and then there's nobody else for you to hire. Um, <clears throat> the um, So, and then just let's, let me key on that real quick. Yeah. And, and, and that is, from your standpoint, when you're looking at the secondary market, I'm talking about lateral physicians who have got maybe two to five, five to seven years experience, you're telling me from what you're seeing in the marketplace, it's just dry. Completely. And even the primary market. Um, I'll give you an example. I am actually trying to find a partner right now. Mm-hmm. And just talking to them, a lot of them are being recruited by corporations. And they are given thrown big dollars. What they don't understand is that that will last the term of their initial contract, let's say three years. Right. And then it is a fact that their salary is cut about 30 30, when, they, when they switch to the production model, right? Exactly. And they don't even really realize that. They don't. And, and, you know, I know, Rory, you've seen that, too, mm-hmm. on, the, on, the, on, the, on the contracts where they, you get the, guarantee, the two-year guarantee, right. right, with the signing bonus. Right. And even on the recruitment agreement side, then you're signing over the, for the three to five, sometimes six years forgiveness period. Right, right. Yeah. And they don't see the few, they don't understand the big picture. They don't understand what this means. And so you have an independent practice where we can't compete with those dollars because basically what I'm doing is I'm taking my income and I'm offering them independence. I'm taking my income and I am funding their initial three years. So it's, it's very difficult. And it's also, it would, no, go ahead. Which is why I'm doing this, because I hope that this educates the young physician and they understand what they're sacrificing. And because if they're not happy, right. they they are often forced to leave the state. And certainly, you know, and they don't see the future. And they're not coming back. They don't understand. They, they only, they've been in, they they're usually are not married at this point. They've been studying so the whole time. So we're not even retaining talent. They're so angry and frustrated. And from the wording, it's like, I'm out of here. That's where I was going to go with this because I, I don't know if Conrad, you hear this, but I hear this a lot when I'm reviewing, especially resident uh, and fellow uh, employment agreements, and I talk with them, and the non compete's always a big thing that we need to talk about. But when it comes up, you know, I say, look, here's what it is. We could try to squeeze down the parishes or see if they'll go down to one year. And uh, I've been hearing a lot more recently them say, I'm not worried about that. If this doesn't work out, I'm just going to go back home right. or I'm going to go somewhere right. else. And so it's starting, uh, and, and 
it shifted because I didn't always hear that. First it was, let's fight this thing. Let's break it down. Now I'm hearing, ah, that's fine. I'll go back home or I'll go. My wife's not from here, whatever it may be. And so they're kind of caving in. But like you mentioned, now they're leaving Louisiana. They're probably not going to come back. There's no planning of routes. I mean, it's like, I'm out of here. Why deal with it? Well, unfortunately, they don't look ahead. Right. And um, so they, what they see is they, they're coming again out of residency and they sign this thinking, I just want the money. And they don't realize what it means to them if they, let's say, they meet a partner, they have a family, and then they have to leave. So one thing we want to talk about that, because I know Rory does it, we do it, um, speak to residents that, that will, the, you know, the chiefs or the directors, they usually have a professional program, like LSU, some of the programs have that. And we like that because a lot of times at that level, at the fellow program, at the, at the, three and four, uh, the PGY three and fours, they never hear from us. And so we finally get in, and the, one of the first things I always say is, when you see the money, stop. It's not all about the comp. It's not all about the signing. There's so many other things you need to think about. One of the things that I see happening all the time, and you, you correctly pointed out, Dr. Williams, is that you, they give you the two-year guaranteed salary in that initial contract, and then the language is very vague, and I know we, we've both talked about this, Rory, that it says... After the second year and beginning a third year, you will move to a comp model as determined by your department chair or something, some vague notion of we will then move you to something else at, at year three. And you don't know what it is. You don't, it's all production. It's all RVU production. It's all, you don't know what the number is, your target. You don't know what your conversion factor is. You don't know anything at all. And that's where you come in and, and said it drops. And let's put one more layer on this. What about quality? So you then are employed by an institution. You see problems with their delivery of care. And you can't speak up without threat of being fired. And if you're fired, you have to leave. Yeah. And, and the not compete still in effect. And the not compete still in effect. Exactly. That's right. Or you're in a repayment issue because you had a recruitment agreement and now you've left before your forgiveness period. And suddenly they're, they're saying, oh, by the way, that 150000 50000 75000 whatever signing bonus or whatever we gave you, uh, you need to pay it all back or even a pro rata portion. Sure. And, and so now it's a, it's a huge loan payment. I I know that some, and I'm going to just play devil's advocate here, because when you talk to new doctors, they only, again, they say, well, I want the money. Yes. And I'm going to sign the non-compete because I want that money. Yes. With that said, I would say that if somebody enters that and really, truly understands the what, what this means for them, then then let them have it. Okay, but what is happening is that they are being forced into it. Let's talk about what happened in Shreveport when a particular corporation took over the hospital there and said, you want to keep your job? You need to sign this contract that has a non-compete. They were forced to sign it. Right. Okay. That is, and I mean, that, that, that's a huge problem. That's a huge yeah. problem. If you force it to them and then you have Evergreen where there is no and, and, and that's real quick for those of you who don't know what evergreen means evergreen is just an auto renewal it's a, it's a little little of a term where it, it just <clears> never stops the contract just automatic renewals on an annual basis or, an, or every two years all, all the time so it never stops sure it's synonymous with the reserve clause in baseball that led to free agency yes yes and, and so you, you know, everybody brought up some really interesting points here and and one of the things and, and Roy, I, I like to bring up dr williams you, you you touched on it was the your hearings in front of the committee up in the legislature to discuss the non-compete 
and and I want to throw this out because this is this is not on our list, but I want to throw this out. Louisiana has a, is not a corporate practice state, and so that means that you know corporations can employ physicians, but the state board has come out and said, in, 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 a, in a, I think in an opinion letter, an advisory opinion, that corporations must not be able to control the autonomous medical decision making of providers. So the question is, is does non-compete affect, because it's really the physician-patient relationship, right? And you were talking about that earlier. Does the corporate practice prohibition or the non-compete affect the, abil- I mean, the ability of the physician to continue that physician-patient relationship? Absolutely. Absolutely, I would say, right? Absolutely. You know, not I don't even know if that was even discussed, but I mean, I, I looked at it from a corporate practice standpoint when you brought mm-hmm. that up. I'm like, man, what about that? I don't, I don't know. I just was going to throw that on the table. Yeah, and I don't know if this is the time to, to talk about this, but not to mention the unfair um, edge or the, the, the non-competitive, the anti-competitive edge that these large corporations have where they put non-competes on all these physicians and they dominate the healthcare market. Mm -hmm. No other independent doctor can survive. And what is that, what happens? The cost of healthcare goes up. They're able to excessively charge for services because they're the only act in the town and do it the way they want to do it. And it takes away patients' rights, patients' autonomy, yeah, I mean, like like you mentioned, most physicians that are coming out of a residency or fellowship program, they're probably going to get an offer from one of the two big systems, or at least that's all in the conversation, unless they're completely against that. And it might be the highest pay. It might have that, that tuition repayment, sign-on bonus, moving expenses. So it's going to have all that. And so those systems are capturing these residents and fellows and then spitting them out, but spitting them out to the North Shore or somewhere out of state because of the non-compete. So they're, they're capturing them on the front end and then kind of essentially kicking them out and forcing them to leave. So it's a problem on, on both sides for smaller independent practices, especially in a lot of rural areas. Well, not just kicking them out, Rory. I mean, they're, they, you think those corporations are data mining the services? So in other words, if they've got facilities now and or management agreements in other parishes and they say, oh, we don't have any breast surgeons over there, well, let's bring in the fellow. We're just going to bring move this person out to, to Bunky. We're going to move this person to Lake Charles. So, I mean, because in those contracts, remember they say we reserve the right to to make you work at any facility, you know. And you have to go in. And you say no, 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 no. We, we we're going to put a we're going to put a distance to that. And we try to cap it like twenty five miles sometimes. But if you didn't cap it, they could literally tell you, oh, you're in New Orleans. We want you to go. We have a, a, a hospital out in Alexandria. G- guess what? You're going to go work in Alexandria. I mean, how many people want to do that? Right, right. You know? One thing I read in the FTC uh, proposed rule and kind of in their justification for it was how, and I'd love to hear y'all's opinion on this, is how the non-compete, if this were to go away, we'll just call it if it, if it goes away, would increase compensation. I want to hear what y'all thought about that on how you think the yeah. FTC, I mean, they gave some information on how they think that it could It was a really that. thoughtful analysis. I mean, they went really into detail on the analysis of that. Yeah, and it's compensation for the physician? Yes. Or, or really for anyone, Any, even anyone, if we're talking just, physicians. just anyone that has a non-compete and then does not if this proposed rule goes into effect. What are your thoughts on how that could help with co- increased compensation? Well, I think that right now the non-competes are utilized to uh, as a financial tool uh, to the advantage of the corporation. Mm-hmm. They can underpay because they have they have locked a physician, a young physician, into that job with either fear of having to leave their community or take the take this lower wage. I mean, they are 
they're they're they they sent the bench I guess the benchmark for salaries in that area, but what that does is that suppresses the people who could be so great, you know, to go out and and really excel and then deserve that higher wage. Right. You know, it's um, there's a lot of quiet quitting going on in in the doctor community and not necessarily among independents but definitely amongst employed physicians there's no advantage to working that extra hard to making that extra dollar and and that's a good point and and i, I like to hear dr gorsett do you have a, you have a view on on the on the salary if this were to go away do you think uh the salaries would increase decrease stay the same i'm i'll make my comments based on my idealistic approach to life and I just I, I get heavily involved with this because of the the patience and the quality and the access to care component right. and the maintenance of the doctor patient relationship so I'll, I'll focus on that side of things and where, where you know where I see it going away because patients will say all the time believe me a lot of my patients have followed me from Oshner, uh and continue to see me and look there's there's really good doctors at Oshner, and there's maybe some not so good doctors, and in the other systems, I think there are good doctors, doctors in any system, exactly. right? Exactly. I mean, there's good doctors, poor, do lesser. You have some desirables and undesirables, so right? The, but the, and the patients know that. So there's a lot of patients that have uh, their providers in multiple systems, sure. and so um, you know, I saw a patient this week that um, I have had seen before at Oshner, and then she loves her primary care doctor at Oshner. So, um, I, you know, we encourage her to stay there with a primary care doctor. She has a great relationship with that person. Right. And so, you know, part of my philosophy on this, and, you know, I got involved with Kathy through some of the state uh, legislative advocacy things. I've been involved with advocacy for, on the breast side, help enact a couple of laws in terms of screening mammograms. So that's how I got involved with Kathy. And we actually proposed another bill um, this year that we're working on in terms of medical records. Like that's a big problem with uh, health systems having access to the medical records. Like you don't know how much money we spend repeating tests because we don't have access to the uh, records in the outside system and what that leads to in delays and additional costs by repeating things. And then, you know, especially with cancer patients delaying their diagnosis. So. There's a lot in the financial side. And then so you save money on that side in terms of repeating diagnostic tests. There's, you know, there's going to be more money in the system for improved resources and things like that. And, and, and um, you know. Well, if I could say, I, I absolutely think that if non-compete went away, doctors would actually make more money. Because I think that doctors that are employed and held by non-complete, that they are underpaid, undervalued, and overworked. Well, they don't they don't move the needle. Like once you if once right. you go to production, so. <clears throat> depending on how they do it, uh, your RV, you know, and, and for those of you, your RVU target stays the same, and that dollar per RVU you know, stays in that range. And that's, uh, and let me tell you, that's, that's totally manipulated. The RVUs are, uh, people do not understand, really, RVUs do not equitably pay for the cognitive services. They, right. they pay for the procedure services. Sure. And so people who are being paid by RVUs actually are getting, like in these, in these non-surgical specialties are really not being fairly reimbursed. And they, and, and residents and medical students do not understand that. They don't have, they don't know. They don't but know. We, we should define the term RVU. Yeah, so so let me just say, for those of you who don't know what an RVU is, it's called a relative value unit, and it's made up of a, uh, it's part of a, a the CPT code, the current procedure terminology code, that physicians bill for on all their claims. So, uh, and that 
CPT code, whatever it might be. It could be for an E&M visit, evaluation management visit. It could be for anything. They, they have literally down to the number to find almost everything in healthcare for doctors to do in a CPT code. And RVUs make up, there's three components of an RVU, a work uh, a work RVU, a practice RVU, and then I think a malpractice or, or some sort of expense RVU. And then they have a geographic factor based on your location or where you are. So the work RVU, which is what most production models are based of, are based on a portion of that CPT code that has been assigned by Medicare as a work relative value unit. So, so that's, and I can tell you, when, when, I, when I say that to, to residents, they look like, huh? What? They, they don't know. They don't know. And here's, here's the interesting thing. Let me tell you this. Quality. We're talking about quality, mm-hmm. right? So we get to production, right? Is it quality to focus on production, right? All you're doing is, is telling the doctor, you want to make more money? You got to do more. Now, they're starting to move more to quality matrix type of models, where before I would say maybe five or 10 years ago, it might have been, what, 5 10%. Yeah. Now I'm seeing more quality matrix coming in 20% even which is difficult because how you define that is very difficult, but it's still RVU-based. Now, I'm going to throw this at both doctors here. We all know that value-based reimbursement is coming. It's here in some cases on project plans with the VPI initiative or value-based initiative. So how in the world are you going to compensate physicians for kicking in that production, yet your reimbursement is coming in on block value-based payment? In other words, it's no more fee for service. You get like a capitation model. So you, you have a you have a dichotomy of compensation model versus reimbursement. That's coming. And I don't know how that's gonna work. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm just throwing it on the table out there for y'all. I don't know if you, if, if y'all think about that, but just oh, we we think about that and, and I think it's an attempt to try to get away from just the massive production and throw quality in there. So if you yes. define what value is, value yes. is quality divided by cost. So the higher the quality, bigger the numerator, right. and lower cost, lower denominator, the greater the value you're getting, right? Yes. So you always want more, you want better quality and theoretically lower cost uh-huh. if you're getting value. Now that makes sense. So if you're just lowering cost without any input on quality, then your value drops too. So I think it's Agreed. a reasonable platform to try to maintain quality. So, so the, the question, I'm sorry, go ahead, Dr. Williams. So, <laughs> so with regards to um, some programs that are the beginning of value-based reimbursement, yes. um, there is one in particular where employee physicians are giving bonuses based on not ordering CT scans. So it's a negative. So in other words, so now we're going to capitation on on a on a right. So in other words, your you bonus, your, your, your money, risk. your extra money in your in your income is tied to not ordering procedures that, right. that you think but, your patients may need. This is a fact. Right, I know, yeah. and, and it's great. But but then then hopefully the metrics are kept track of that that person may get less of a quality care because you didn't order a test and you missed something and their quality dropped. And so therefore the value drops and then therefore, again, you're not keeping up with your value. So with that said, I have a huge problem with managing my matrix, okay? Yeah. Everybody is different and we lose the individual right. in the process. Correct. Like, you know, and I think that's one of the things that these large corporate healthcare institutions focus on is they po- focus on population health. And so it's like, well, this is what we need to do to make sure, you know, you need mm-hmm. to have this number of this and you got to meet this percentage for this but 
it, you lose the individual in the process. Let me ask you the question, because you just said it, right? <laughs> you just gave the argument, is that corporate practice of medicine? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. So when the corporation comes down with evidence-based standards and says, guys, girls, everybody here in the room, you got to follow these, is that corporate practice of medicine? Absolutely. And, and I'm going to add one other layer to that, okay? Where do you think these standards are coming from? Um, They're not necessarily coming from Louisiana, okay? Right. They're coming from states or institutions that are, I, I know for a fact that there's an institution in California that does uh -huh. the maternal health standards, and it's, com it, it, it's not Louisiana. It's incompatible. Exactly. So let's get, let me, let me, let me get the helicopter to land on the pad that, cause I'm, I'm, I feel like I went on, I went down a few rabbit holes here, but so question, and I think Rory and I talked about this, eliminating the non-compete. Mm -hmm. Does that increase, decrease, or stay the same for healthcare access, and why, Dr. Williams? Absolutely increases healthcare access. So we are losing physicians in the state because of non-compete. I can I know several doctors, great doctors, who have left and gone to Texas or other states because of a very restrictive non-compete. Um, also, you then have um, students that are, on that note, they have students that are being trained with taxpayer dollars at LSU Medical School, but then are being slapped with a non-compete and being forced to leave. And then you have independent doctors who are not able to hire new doctors, so our numbers are dwindling, employment is growing, and ironically, as they start to, they start to monopolize the mar market, do you think they're going to hire the expensive physician or the less expensive extended provider? They're going to hire the less expensive yeah. extended yeah. provider. Yeah. And they're going to, they, they it is a fact that they are filling them up, their ERs up with extended providers. So patients will come and say, well, I, I, did, I, you know, I went to the ER, but I right. really got to see a nurse practitioner or a PA. So definitely. Definitely limited access that, to that, care. And to you, same question yeah, to you. So that's a, that's another great point with the uh, the mid level providers, the nurse practitioners, mm -hmm. physician assistants. Again, the, the they're going to come at a lower cost, right? And so, can they provide the same quality at a lower cost, right? And then there'll be value. But here's the issue: they don't provide the same quality. On average, a mid level provider, a nurse practitioner, or a PA has about. 10% uh, of the clinical experience before they go into practice. For a doctor, once you finish medical school, we have to do residency, right? And right. so depending on the various residencies, you do about 20,000 to 30,000 hours of clinical experience before you're allowed to practice on your own. Whereas a nurse practitioner, it's on average two to 3,000. It's one order of magnitude less. And so, like you said, you don't know what you don't know. So the quality drops, okay? So why some of the... Uh, systems are pushing towards hiring more mid-levels is that it's lower cost and right now they can reimburse at the same level as the physician okay so they have a collaborating so physician you, you can reimburse about, at the same level yeah you know about incident to billing we can we can right that's, that's a whole different yeah. we, we've got a podcast on that it's a whole point, different deal at some point that's going to drop right and say oh wait you're not yeah. oh you, you're not going to be able to bill at the same level if they have no collaborating physician with you right but what they ha what you have to look at is the bigger picture uh -huh. as the as, since there are corporations that have the monopoly because of the non-compete they're putting independent out of, out of practice, they're limiting patient choice, and then they're running it like a corporation to where the most important thing is the bottom dollar. And so, yes, it absolutely limits choice and access to care. One thing that I read in the proposed rule where they, you know, at the end or towards the end, they usually say, you know, here's areas that we like to see speak 
RC comment on. Um, one of the areas that they talked about were these high and low wage workers. You know, should that be some sort of carve out, which like a cap physicians would definitely fall in the high wage yeah. one. So I'd love to hear your opinion on are, is this, you know, this could happen, but doctors could be carved out or physicians high level. They define it as high wage workers. Yeah. So let's I, and y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, but Louisiana law as it stands right now. OK, there is only one carve out. And I believe it's used car salesmen. Mm-hmm. Am I correct? And lawyers. Actually, lawyers are limited by their bar. Their your bar set. So the lawyers are not. I don't believe carved out in the law. Uh, your I don't bar, think your bar can't associ- have a non-compete. Right. Believe, it's right. your bar association. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They say that it's ethically wrong for you to have a non-compete. Mm-hmm. And so I uh, I say what is more I didn't important. Know that. I didn't, I should know yeah. that, Roy. Oh, I've read up all this from my testimony <laughs> because I, you know there's so many lawyers right. that are on the on the right. committees. Sure. And I said, so what's more important, a patient's liberty or life and with that said we are involved in patients life and health and future right and so it is just wrong looking at this comment i'm sure you've gone through a lot what are some changes that you or your society if you're submitting a public comment or plan to what are some things that y'all are are, are submitting or just want to see change do you like anything is there something in here that you don't like uh, can you even talk on that? Uh, no, we, we actually, LSMS um, did comment. We, um, and it, it's, you can actually, I believe, uh, contact LSMS if you want to get a copy of it. I mean, it's pretty much everything that uh, Dr. Corsetti and I have talked about sure. today. I will, and I don't, I don't mean to, to go off topic, but, you know, we have worked on this 2019, 2020, 21, 22. Right. We've come with legislation over and over again. Um, I, I pray that the FTC does get involved because I don't think this is just about, uh, prohibiting or, or saying non-competes shouldn't be in place. I truly believe this is an antitrust problem, mm-hmm. you know, mergers of hospital systems dominating the market and now putting independent practice out of business, which then has an effect on patient care and patient choice. With that said, the organ, the corporations are so financially strong and stronger as we get weaker, sure. smaller in number, that their political clout and Louisiana legislature, it's what has killed our bill every time. We had the votes to win in 2021, but it was political pressure that that chair that we, we got out of House committee. And we only had one day vote, and that was, I think, because the person didn't understand. Then we got off the House floor, we got to Senate committee, and every time it went before the committee, Ralph and I would take off, and then they're like, oh, we're going to table it again. It was political pressure, unfair political pressure that would not put that on the calendar, and we would have won. So let me ask you that. I mean, with with what you can say... um, are you telling? Are you, uh, did you want to say something? Dr. Say, in my and in testifying with Kathy in twenty twenty one, I really got the sense that of all the corporations that came to testify that day, all of them felt that it was reasonable to come to some middle ground. Uh, and I think there was a, uh, some compromise. Were, were very yeah. uh, willing to compromise in terms of the evergreen, in terms of the years, because most of those well, other corporations didn't have the. I think uh, our lady of the lake actually authored the bill with us, and yeah. And, and I thought it was not, no, doesn't apply to primary care, and then after special specialization, after mm-hmm. you do two years, I think was it like that, and then after that you would be no non compete or two or three or some time period if you work for some so many years. But, uh, 
Ashner, Ashner said <laughs> they were not willing to, neg- to negotiate a fair compromise. They say they did, but they did not. Well, that was a question I had. So, mm. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. 2019, 2020, 2021. Are we going to continue to see legislation coming out from LSMS or, or whoever to continue to try and curb non-competes in Louisiana in addition to FTC? Is that something that... You can tell us right now. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to open up Pandora's box and have any mm-hmm. trade secrets come out. But, but I mean, if, from what you can tell me, yeah. are, are we going to be revisiting this? So two things. Number one is, that, and I want to clarify, the LSMS absolutely uh, supports the FTC rule. We have come out with our comments of as okay. such, okay? Secondly is that we would love to have legislation in Louisiana that protects the doctor-patient relationship. Okay. And it is now our policy to seek to ban non-competes. I see. And lim- uh, to, to stop non-competes. Limit non-competes, I guess. Is and, you, and you know what? Frankly, I would love to hear the other side. I mean, I'm, I'm saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I, you know, I'd like to hear, you know, but I, I doubt I hear some from any of the big systems that they would want to come talk to us about it. But I'm glad we did do this. I think it's very important. Um, it's a very important issue from a healthcare delivery, a healthcare access, and a healthcare competitive market. But, I, you know, I think, I think uh, frankly, it would change the marketplace like forever. Yeah. 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 I, I think, I think, I mean, cause I mean, that's, I know that's one of the big concerns, even for laterals, mm-hmm. you know, about the non-compete, but I think it would change like instantly. It'd be really interesting to see, yes. do you see people move around? I think they'd move around between systems, but you know, do a group of orthos get together and say, let's, we've always talked about doing our private practice. Now we don't have to leave. Let's go open up our own clinic. So, you know, I'm in business for myself. Right. I love being in practice for myself. Now, it's not for everybody. There are people who prefer academics, but I like I like running my business. Yes, it's a lot of work, yeah. but it's it's I, I can take off when I want. You know, it, it's it's you will find people a happier work environment. You're also so important to have healthy competition in the healthcare market, healthy competition, but that is that you, you know, you could, you have more options to choose more competitive pricing. It's, it's going to benefit the patient. If I'm on the other side, let me play devil's advocate with you. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at doctors and I say, okay, I'm a hospital administrator. I, I, my reimbursement, my margins are slim as it is. And now I'm going to have to pay more for physicians. I don't think we're going to be able to offer services. And, and this is why I'm doing this. How would you respond to that? Because that, that's a tough question. Well, If I say I, my, my margins are slim, mm-hmm. how am I going to you know, continue to offer this service line if I now have to compete and hire and, and physicians are coming to me? I don't want to work for you unless you give me X. And suddenly I'm like, well, I, now I can't offer the service line. Do you believe that would happen? Do you think that's wrong? Or do you think that's just a, you know, something that hospitals would say? I mean, what, what, are your, what are your thoughts on that? So I actually sat on a hospital board for several years. Okay. So I've actually seen uh, and been involved in running a hospital. Gotcha. Um, and yet here I am sitting before you. That's all I need to say. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, there you go. It answers itself. There okay. we go. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Well, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen with this bill. I mean, I know it's being challenged, but uh, we'll have to see what the rule says on this. And I think it's fair to say yes. that the hospital board that I sat on, they don't utilize non-competes. 
Interesting. Okay. All right. In fact, our doctors are some of the happiest in the state. I like that. I wish we had happy. Can we have happy lawyers? <laughs> right. I want happy lawyers. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> well, yeah. we'll say, well, if your lawyer's like, happy, you'd be happy, right? That's true. And, and, and I'll get back to, you know, a happy physician and a good doctor-patient relationship leads to better quality. Sure. Better access. I don't think anyone would disagree with no. that. And and that's that's the bottom line to me. Yes. Um, so I think there's ways to maxify, maximize your efficiency. So uh, increasing yeah. resources will also then potentially increase better production and when you're in a happy environment and will actually lead to better reimbursements for both the hospital and the physician. Sure. If this passes, do you still see LSMS pushing for non-compete legislation statewide, even if the FTC passes? So, you know, we vote every year on policies and and I will say that we anticipate seeing bills filed, but we are not bringing a bill this year. Got it. Um, but yes, at this time, I it forgot. Is, is this a fiscal session? I don't even know. Yes, it is. It is. Okay, so yeah. so that okay, I got you. And also, we need to have a changing of the guard. Understood. Okay, copy that. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. this will be really interesting to follow. You know, I think if it if it does go through, I predict it would get challenged immediately and probably. Oh, I know. Stayed. I know it will. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and, and it'll have to go to the Supreme Court. It'll, right. it'll okay. fast track like Dobbs was right. on the abortion, straight on that. Right. So I do believe, and I know that the audience primarily will be, you know, physicians, but patients need to get involved in this discussion. Well, the patients don't know. Patients don't know. I I just read an article this weekend about, you know, we have all this thing about physician burnout. There's now something called patient burnout because they're tired of all the bureaucracy and healthcare. Well, you know what? Yeah. Because they want to have access to their doctor. Like, Like I said, they may have a good doc in one system, another doc in another system. There just needs to be, uh, you know, some kind of way to let the patient have access to who they want to see. Well, yeah. you, you know, one thing, too, I read this weekend, interesting. Now, I don't know. I, haven't, I didn't delve in it, but I see doctors unionizing. I saw that recently, and I said, wow. So that's not in Louisiana. No, it's um, not. And it's something that uh, some people have looked at, into. Um, I don't really know how I feel about that because again I didn't look I at it in detail I saw patient, it I was shy. I was wow I'm very patient focused yes. I mean I'm all about the patient and the individual um, with that said I think you though have um, as more employment as you see more employees more employed physicians that's something that may happen well I want to ask you any any final thoughts from both of you on non-compete FTC rules state rule anything at all about what we've discussed today that you want physicians to know. In other words, <clears throat> anybody who's interested in this, right? Mm-hmm. What what would be the takeaway that you'd want them to know or do, right? So I, I feel that in residency, they're a captive audience that they're hearing, they, they, they see the corp, they see corporations, basically some of them practicing medicine and shouldn't be. And so they think that's the only path um, for them. They don't understand the benefits of, of running your own business and being an independent physician. Um, I would hope that, that and, and they, what they need to understand is what they are sacrificing, what they are giving up. It's their autonomy. And they need to remember that's their medical license. They did the time. They went to medical school. Right. They earned the degree. And then they have a corporation that is capturing them. And they have to recognize that if they, if they, if they submit to that, well, 
it's it's going to be difficult. But if you if you just work a little bit longer, maybe not make that, you know, big old dollars that you're hoping to get, in the end, you're actually going to be happier and make more money. As an independent physician, I control my business and I make more money than those employed physicians. Interesting. Dr. Corsetti? Yeah, I was just touch on that. The graduating residents and physicians are so anxious because, you know, the average debt now is two to $300,000 after finishing training. And so it's just a lot of debt. And so they're anxious to get out there, earn the dollars to pay that down, not realizing, you know, what the long-term, you know, issues are because, you know, you don't, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Well, where, where, if somebody wanted to look on your website, where, where would somebody go for LSMS? Can you tell our listeners where, where to go to check out your comment for the proposed rule and how to maybe access your website so they know where to go? LSMS.org, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, they can look at our organization. We are um, the largest organized medicine institution in the state of Louisiana. We have about 8,000 physician members across the state. Um, and the, and our, our staff is amazing. They are there and available to answer any questions. Um, Lauren Bailey is very well versed on the non-compete issue, as well as Mariah Bowen, but uh, they can, of course, help. And we we are happy to have anybody who is be who is suffering because of non-compete. We love to, to, we would love to hear their story because they can help us perhaps in our future legislative endeavors. Thank you so much. Really appreciate that, Dr. Grossetti. Final thoughts. I just want to thank y'all for having me. I think this is a very important topic that. I don't think it's going to end very quickly between the federal and the state levels. So sure. it's going to be a, a subject for. We'll have to have you come back yes. as it progresses and yes. as it gets challenged, and we could, you know, discuss that. We'll have a multi-part series. We'll have to bring them back. Sure, this was really good, very informative. Sure. Well, we thank you very much uh, for your time, and we really appreciate you know your conversation, a really important topic. Thank you, and for everyone listening, thank you, thank you again. Another episode of Health Law Talk here at Chahardi Sherman Williams, Rory Bellina, Conrad Meyer signing off. Have a great weekend. Enjoy. Thanks for listening to this episode of Health Law Talk presented by Shahardi Sherman-Williams. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel. Make sure to give us that five-star rating and share with your friends. Shahardi Sherman-Williams is providing this podcast as a public service. This podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast does not constitute legal advice, nor does this podcast establish an attorney-client relationship. Reference to any specific product or entity does not count as an endorsement or recommendation by Shahardi Sherman-Williams. The views expressed by guests on the show are their own, and their appearance does not imply an endorsement of them or their entity that they represent. Remember, please consult an attorney for your specific legal issues.